Thank you, Deacon Chris. Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church. And if you're joining us for the first time in a long time, uh, welcome back and welcome home. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of you had to brave uh, some uh, traffic uh, challenges today, so thank you for uh, making the extra effort to get to church, and we're glad that you're here uh, safely. We're currently in a three-week sermon series dealing with the topic of spiritual abuse in the church. Um, so what is spiritual abuse? A simple definition might be spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader like a pastor or an elder or the head of a Christian organization uses their position, authority, and power to mistreat, harm, or exploit vulnerable people under them. Uh, here's an overview of the series so far, and today in the third and final sermon in the series, we'll be talking about further how we resist spiritual abuse in the church, and this is really part two of that talk. Again, next Sunday at 12.30 p.m., we will have a time of Q&A. Please register for that. It'll be a place for you to ask any questions that you have about any of the sermons in this series or generally uh, related to spiritual abuse, and we want to answer uh, your questions and have this important conversation together. Uh, today, we're going to be reading from two passages. Again, these two passages we've read several times at our church. In fact, we read it last Sunday. But before I read it today, can I encourage you to try to listen to these texts with fresh ears? Though they're familiar, try to make them fresh. Because I want you to consider, just again, how good and beautiful these words are. These words are not oppressive and suffocating. These words are liberating and life-giving. These words, I, I just imagine, what if the people of God actually believed and practiced these words? What a beautiful difference it would make in our homes and in our church. And so turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to first Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 22 to 23, people of God. This is the good and beautiful word of our God. Please give it your careful attention. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verse, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What ye have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So the goal of this short sermon series, and really one of the most important ongoing goals of our church, is this. To nurture a culture at our church that encourages people to not only believe in Jesus, but also to behave like Jesus. To not only rest in Jesus, but also to resemble Jesus. We want a, a church culture uh, 
uh, where we encourage and pray for and work for and celebrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all of our people, from the pastors to the leaders to the members, where all of us are becoming more and more like Jesus as our lives are bearing the beautiful fruit of the Spirit that we just read about. You know, a church culture that nurtures Christ-likeness is a church culture that will resist spiritual abuse because Christ and spiritual abuse are antithetical. Now, in order to nurture a church culture that values and promotes Christ-likeness, we will seek to adopt seven biblical priorities and practices. Now, these priorities and practices are taken from a book by Scott McKnight and Laura Barringer called uh, A Church Called Tove. It's an excellent book. I recommend it to you highly if you want to further study this topic uh, on your own. Now, every church has a culture, and the culture of a church is set not only by its theological commitments and not only by its racial and ethnic, ethnic demographics. The culture of a church is set especially by their functional values, their functional priorities, and their functional practices. So if we want to have a certain kind of culture at our church, then we need to pursue certain kinds of practices that will help our culture become the kind of culture that we want. And because we want a church culture here at Christ Central that nurtures Christ-likeness, we will adopt these seven biblical values and principles and practices because I believe they will help take our culture there. Uh, last week, we considered the following three priorities and practices. Number one, uh, nurture empathy and compassion. Number two, nurture grace. Number three, put people first. And today, we're going to follow, uh, consider the following four priorities and practices. Number four, tell the truth. Number five, nurture justice. Number six, nurture service. And then number seven, nurture Christ-likeness. Priority and practice number four, to tell the truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. In fact, Jesus said that he was the truth, and Jesus always spoke the truth and only the truth, even when speaking the truth uh, would bring him negative consequences. You do recall on the night that he was uh, betrayed, um, he told the truth about who he was, that he was the Son of God. And Jesus spoke this truth, even though this, speaking this truth would ultimately have him be accused of blasphemy, and blasphemy was the formal charge for which he was put to death on the cross. But even his death on the cross, which was led there because he spoke the truth, resulted in what? The salvation of the world. As Christians... Uh, we are united to Jesus by faith, and we're being renewed into his likeness. And that means that we, too, are to tell the truth, just as Jesus uh, did. As Christians, we are to rejoice in the truth, to walk in the truth, and to never be afraid of the truth. And we are to tell the truth even when telling the truth is hard or hurts. That means that we must resist lying, deceit, cover-ups, false narratives, gaslighting, and spin, even if we are motivated by what we believe are good intentions. The temptation for church leaders to tell half-truths, to suppress the truth, or even to cover up the truth is strongest 
when an influential and beloved pastor commits spiritual abuse or some sort of scandal. There is the impulse to protect the pastor. And the church leaders are tempted to say something like, oh, he's done so much good at our church. What he did was wrong, yes, but it was just one time. Let's not ruin his reputation or his career over this. Let's keep this quiet and let's just set up better accountability measures so that this doesn't happen. Or let's just say that he had to move on to another calling in ministry. But let's not throw him under the bus. Churches say that a lot, by the way. And there is also the impulse to protect the church. And the leaders of the church are tempted to say something like, what he did was wrong and inexcusable, but our church won't survive without him. If news of this gets out, we're done. If people find out what he did, they're going to be hurt, they're going to be angry, and they're going to leave the church. And if that many people leave, we're done as a church. We won't survive. And what's going to happen to all the good that our church has done and is doing? What will happen to our ministries? So for the sake of our church, for the sake of our church doing good ministry, let's keep this quiet. And let's set up better accountability measures so that this doesn't happen again. When a church refuses to tell the truth about an abusive or scandalous pastor because they're afraid of the consequences of the truth... That culture, the culture of that church, allows and even enables spiritual abuse to happen and to continue. Truth-telling is not always easy. It requires true courage and true love. Because when there are hard and painful consequences for telling the truth, you need to have the strength to do it. But not telling the truth when a pastor has committed scandal or spiritual abuse, that is not only the most unloving, but it is the most unchristian thing we can do to the victims, to the pastor, and to the church. First and foremost, by not telling the truth about the abusive pastor and letting him stay in that role, first and foremost, hurts the victims. We further traumatize and re-traumatize the victims as they see that the abusive pastor is not being held accountable for what he did, as they see that their abuse and their trauma is not taken seriously, and as they see that protecting the abuser is more important than caring for the victim. There is nothing more hurtful, nothing more disorienting for victims to see their abuser continue to serve as a pastor as if nothing happened even though they told the truth to those who were supposed to do something about it. And so the victims of abuse become disillusioned and angry and bitter and cynical, not just toward the abusive pastor, but also to the other leaders and other people in the church who protected and who protect that pastor. Second, by not telling the truth about the abusive pastor and by keeping the pastor in his role, we hurt the pastor himself. We rob the pastor of the opportunity to publicly repent of what he did and to be forgiven and to be restored. You see, what a, a pastor who has sinned like that truly needs is forgiveness, not for him to keep his job. We may protect his career, but we endanger his soul. It is far better for a pastor to lose his job, lose his reputation, than to lose his soul. 
And the pastor who confesses and repents of his scandalous and abusive sins can be forgiven and restored to the fellowship of the church and then can receive the healing love and the fellowship of the church even if he has to look for a new way to make a living. You know, that is far better than for him to continue in pastoral ministry with unconfessed, secret, and scandalous sin in his life because if he does that, he will die spiritually. You see, being found out and losing his job as a pastor is infinitely better for his soul than keeping his job as a pastor by keeping his scandalous sins and abuse a secret. Third, by not telling the truth about the abusive pastor and by keeping the pastor in that role, we hurt the church. We make the church vulnerable to further instances of spiritual abuse. We may protect the church from financial collapse, but we open the church up to something far worse. You know, it is better for a church to close its doors and to send its people away to other churches than to stay open and to keep its people by not telling the truth because that makes the people who stay vulnerable to further spiritual abuse. Friends, do you realize that a church staying open is not the most important thing? Protecting the people of God from spiritual abuse is far more important. And sometimes the best thing for the people of God is for churches with toxic cultures that protect and enable spiritual abusers to close their doors forever. It is better for the kingdom when churches like that shut down. Telling the truth may hurt, but it will ultimately heal and set free the people of God. A culture of truth-telling is a culture that truly loves the people of God and protects the people of God from spiritual abusers. Next priority in practice, number five, nurture justice. To do justice means to do what is right and good. Jesus always did what was right and good. He never did anything that was wrong or evil. Jesus loved justice. Jesus walked in justice. Jesus was the most just person who ever lived in the history of the world. And as Christians, we are united to Jesus by faith and we're being renewed into his likeness. And that means that we too are called to do justice, just as Jesus did. Now, God alone determines what is good and right, and God ultimately revealed what is truly good and truly right in his son Jesus through his teachings and through the example of his life. That means for us as Christians, for Christians to do justice means to follow the teachings and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only taught us to love God and to love people, but he also gave us the beautiful example of his own life, a life that was devoted to loving God and loving people. And as Christ followers, we are to be loyal to Jesus by following his teaching and his example of loving God and loving people. Loyalty. Well, it's a good thing, but it can also be a terrible thing. Loyalty to pastors is a good thing insofar as that loyalty does not cause you to be disloyal to Jesus. 
If being loyal to a human pastor means that you have to do unjust things, then you must not be loyal to that pastor so that you can be loyal to Jesus. And any pastor who demands your loyalty even demands that you do something unjust and thus betray your loyalty to Jesus, then that pastor is toxic and spiritually abusive and you must avoid and run from pastors like that. You see, a culture that resists spiritual abuse is a culture that values doing justice, doing what is right and good, even if it means upsetting a pastor, even if it means being disloyal to a human pastor. You see, we owe absolute loyalty only to Jesus and only to his word. We obey human laws insofar as they do not cause us to disobey the laws of God. And in the same way, we are to be loyal to human pastors insofar as they do not cause us to be disloyal to Jesus or disobedient to his word. You see, if being loyal to a pastor means that you have to be disloyal to Jesus, then by all means, be disloyal to that pastor. Beware of pastors who demand your loyalty and run from pastors who demand that you do unjust things in the name of being loyal to them. They are brazen and shameless spiritual abusers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Run from them and report them to people who might be able to keep them accountable. Have nothing to do with pastors who ask or who demand that you do something that you know Jesus condemns in his word. The audacity of pastors to ask their members to do something that is contrary to the word of God. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Avoid them, run from them. Your loyalty is first and foremost to Jesus and not to human pastors. So the Christ Central family, let's nurture justice. Let's be committed to doing what is right and good. Let's commit to being loyal to Jesus, even if it means that we have to be disloyal and not loyal to a human pastor. Because loyalty to Jesus and his word comes first. Priority and practice number six, nurture service. Jesus is the glorious Lord of heaven and earth, and yet when he came into the world, he came as a servant. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, though Jesus was the most glorious Lord, yet he came as the most humble servant who sacrificed himself, who sacrificed his own life for us and for our salvation. And as Christians, we're united to Jesus by faith and we're being renewed into his likeness, which means that we too are called to serve and to do service, just as Jesus did. Now, what does service mean? What does it mean to serve? Service means sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. Service means surrendering your time, your talent, and your treasures for the benefit of others. Service means that you're willing to deny yourself, inconvenience yourself, so that others might be served and blessed and encouraged. And everyone in the church... From the pastors to the members, everyone is called to service. And a, a culture of service at a church um, 
forms when the pastors and the leaders lead by example. Pastors and leaders are to set the tone for a service culture by serving, by sacrificing, surrendering, denying, and inconveniencing themselves for the sake of others. Now, in order to nurture a culture of service, there are uh, two unhealthy ways that congregations treat their pastors that make that culture less than service-oriented. And I think this is true of, of, of all churches, but I think it's particularly true of Korean-American churches. First, the first unhealthy, not helpful, unhealthy way to treat pastors is like as uh, VIPs and celebrities. When you treat pastors like celebrities and give them VIP treatment, that can actually ruin them. The pastors can get used to it, and they can start to believe that they are VIPs and that the rules and standards that apply to everybody else don't apply to them. They can become entitled and begin to expect special treatment, and they can begin to see themselves as people who ought to be served rather than people who serve others. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you like to show me VIP treatment. And I like it. I enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. I love it. But I also know that can be dangerous for me. Treating pastors like VIPs, though you do it with the best, most loving, most kind intentions, can actually end up hurting and ruining pastors in the long run. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be kind and loving and generous to pastors. Of course you should, because you're Christians, right? You should be kind, loving, generous to everybody. But what I am saying is this. You should not treat pastors as VIPs because you think they're more important than other people in the church, because they're not. It really is your motivation. When you treat a pastor kindly, is it because you're saying, I think you're more important, or is it because I see you as a brother in Christ? Big difference. Yes, pastors do have a special role in the church, but that does not mean that they are more special or more important than anyone else in the church. Every member of Christ's body is equally precious and equally valuable and, 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 and beloved by the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what their function in the body is. You know, when pastors start to believe that they are VIPs, though they never say it, but if they believe it inside, uh, when they start to believe that they deserve special treatment, when they start to believe that people ought to serve them, that's when pastors become spiritually abusive. Now, the second unhealthy way to treat pastors is to treat them like employees. If some people are tempted to treat pastors as VIPs, the others make the opposite error and they think they can treat pastors as employees that they can boss around because they think, oh, we pay your salary with our tithes and offerings. Therefore, I have the right to order you around. I have the right to constantly evaluate and criticize how you do your work or not do your work as a pastor to my liking. And, um, and people like this... Uh, they don't just say critical things, and sometimes you need to say critical things for the betterment of the church and, and for the pastor, but sometimes people like to say critical things in mean and hurtful ways with no regard 
for the feelings of the pastors or no regard for their feelings of their spouses or their children. They think it's their job to keep the pastors humble. And so they'll go out of their way to be rude and mean and uh, make sure they're put in their place, right? They'll take every opportunity to let the pastors know how disappointed they are with them to keep them humble. Well, let me tell you, people like that are very toxic for pastors. People like that have driven many pastors out of the ministry. And even as I say that, some of you are thinking in your mind, well, maybe those guys shouldn't have been in ministry in the first place. If they can handle a little criticism, grow some thick skin. I'm glad they're not pastors. If, if that's your thought, can I humbly ask you to check yourself and to check your heart? It's people like you that make pastors do their work without joy and with groaning. And if pastors do that, it is of no spiritual advantage for you. So if you know that your disposition is to kind of be your self-proclaimed thorn in the side of a pastor, could I ask you to maybe rethink that? Maybe repent of that? Because pastors need your encouragement. There are two things that we need to remember. First, there is only one VIP in the church. And his name is Jesus. Pastors are not VIPs. Pastors are servants like everyone else in the church because everyone in the church is a servant. And two, but the pastors are servants, but they're not your employees that you can order around or feel like you have the right to do performance reviews on their jobs, whatever, whatever it is you think you have the right to do. Uh, they're not your employees. We're not your employees. We're your brothers in Christ. So to nurture a service culture that resists spiritual abuse and toxicity, let's avoid treating pastors as either VIPs or as employees that you can mistreat. Your pastors are your brothers in Christ. Would you treat your pastors like brothers in Christ? In fact, let me say this. How would you like your husband or your father or your son to be treated at church? Whatever it is that you want for your husband for your father or for your son, that's how you ought to treat your pastors. They're your brothers in Christ. Uh, do unto your pastors as you would like for them to do unto you. The golden rule, pretty simple, applies all the time. Lastly, priority and practice number seven, nurture Christ-likeness. The goal of our salvation is Christ-likeness, or what theologians like to call Christoformity. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that plainly and clearly the purpose of our redemption, it says this, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The purpose of your salvation, the purpose of my salvation, is that we might be conformed into the image of Christ so that we might become more and more like Jesus. But what does that mean? To become like Christ. I, th I think that's a phrase that we hear all the time at church, and, and we don't even know what that means, right? So what does it mean to become like Jesus? Well, it means this. It means that we take seriously how Jesus was a fully human man who lived among us in this world. Through the Gospels, we can observe the kind of man he was. 
We can observe his character and his heart as revealed through his words and through his actions. We can listen to how he spoke to people. We can watch how he treated people. We can take note of how people felt around him. To become like Jesus means to conform to the fully human Jesus that's revealed to us in the Gospels. And the early church fathers called this the imitation of Christ. So, what was Jesus like as a fully human man? Jesus, above all, was a man who loved God and who loved people. He didn't just teach the great commandment. He embodied the great commandment as he loved God and loved people. I mean, go back and read the Gospels and watch how Jesus talked to people. Watch how Jesus treated people. Watch how people around Jesus felt around Jesus, especially the broken, the sinful, the unwanted. How welcomed and safe they felt around Jesus. The only people that walked on eggshells around Jesus were the religiously proud and arrogant. But the humble, the beat down, the unwanted, the discarded, they felt welcomed and loved around Jesus. Friends, that Jesus, that human Jesus, it's in his likeness to which we are to be conformed. We are to treat others the way Jesus treated others. Now, I think this helps us to understand the most basic and fundamental role of a pastor in a church. A pastor's basic role, if I can boil it down to this, is this. A pastor's role is to nurture Christ-likeness in himself and to nurture Christ-likeness in those that he shepherds. That is the pastor's job, to lead himself and to lead others into greater likeness to Jesus. If you think about it, isn't that the whole point of Christian ministry? To help people not just believe in Jesus, but to become more like Jesus? You know, it's... Uh, kind of humbling to confess this, but um, everything that I just said, I know in my head. But as I do my job, day in, day out, week in, week out, it's easy for me as a senior pastor of this church to forget that and to functionally make my other jobs more important. They get my attention, my focus, and my energies. What do I mean? It's easy for me to functionally believe that my main job as a senior pastor of this church is to make sure that we have good worship services on a Sunday. That the preaching is at least adequate. It's easy for me to functionally believe that my most urgent job is to make sure all of our ministries are running well, especially our children's and our youth ministries because the families of our church, who are the majority of our church, expect and demand well-run children's and youth ministries. It's easy for me to functionally believe that my most important job is to make sure that our elders are united and are on the same page and that our staff are healthy and not burning out. It's easy for me to functionally believe that my most necessary job is that our church is financially healthy and that we're going to make budget every year because livelihoods are at stake. And let's be honest, you all want me to focus on those jobs. 
And I should because they're important. But as I try to juggle all the different jobs that I have as a senior pastor of this church, I can sometimes neglect my most basic job, which is to nurture Christ-likeness in me and to nurture Christ-likeness in you. Sometimes I forget that the goal is not a church that is running smoothly, but it needs to be a church that is running after Jesus. The two are not, I'm not saying that the two are mutually exclusive, but it's easy for me to focus on one. For me to think that it's enough if our people simply believe in Jesus, and that I don't really have to worry about our people becoming like Jesus. And when we as a church family functionally forget our main purpose, our basic purpose, which is for all of us to become more like Christ, and we focus on the other important things almost exclusively, that's when our church culture can become toxic and spiritually abusive. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes churches with the best services, the best sermons, can be churches with toxic and spiritually abusive cultures. Sometimes the churches with the best run, best staffed, you know, children's ministry programs can be churches that have cultures that are toxic and spiritually abusive. Sometimes churches that have the biggest buildings and the best budgets can sometimes be churches with uh, cultures that are toxic and spiritually abusive. And I want to ask you, who cares if you have all of those things if your culture is toxic and spiritually abusive? Who cares if you have all of those things if the people in the church are not experiencing intimacy with Christ and becoming more like Christ? Who cares? It's all for nothing. Fam, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about good worship services, good preaching, good children's ministry, good this, good that, good budget. Yes, of course, those things are important, and we're going to do our best to tend to those things. But what I am telling you, what I'm telling myself today is that those are not the most important things, not by a long shot. The most important thing that we need to remember over and over again is this, that every single one of us, from the pastors to the members, are becoming more like Jesus, that we're moving toward Christoformity. That means that what you must want most from me, let me ask you, what is it that you want most from me? For me to preach a good sermon? Is that what you want most from me? What you ought to want most from me is for me to become more like Jesus. And what you ought to want most for yourself is that you are becoming more like Jesus. You know, my main job as a senior pastor of this church is not to preach sermons. Even though we all behave, it's that way. How do I know this? So many of you come so late to the worship services, but you think, as long as I get here by the sermon, I've made it. And you think that your main duty as a member of this church is to show up and to listen to sermons. I'm here to tell you today, my main job isn't to preach sermons and your main job isn't to listen to sermons. My main job is to become more like Jesus and to help you become more like Jesus. And your main job is to become more like Jesus and to help others become more like Jesus. In fact, we all have the same job. We just do it differently. All of us have the same job, which is for ourselves to become more like Jesus and to help others become more like Jesus. And friends, if we all do our jobs, and if we're all becoming more like Jesus, then I dare say 
spiritual abuse has no chance of happening at our church. So what? Let me wrap this up. To review, what is the goal for our church? Here's the goal. The goal is Christ-likeness for everyone, for the pastors, for the elders, for the leaders, for the members, for everyone. The goal is a culture that encourages, nurtures, and celebrates Christ-likeness. And to that end, we will adopt these seven practices and priorities to help us to have that kind of culture. You see, in a beautiful Christ-centered culture, we not only resist spiritual abuse and toxicity, but we also get to love one another with the love of Christ. And do you know what that means as we do that? We get to experience Christ through and in uh, our relationships with one another. Let me explain to you what that means. Uh, to my embarrassment, I confess that it wasn't until much later in my life, in fact, just until just a few years ago, that I began to ask some pretty important questions that I think normal people learn how to ask when they're like out of high school. But it took me like 45 years to ask these questions. And, and the questions are, how do people experience me? When people are around me, when people have to live with me, when people have to work with me, what's it like? What's it like to be around Owen? What's it, like to be, uh, what's it like to be in the office with Owen? What's that like? Now, honestly, I never thought about questions like that. I thought about different kinds of questions. Is this the right and biblical thing to say and do? Is this the strategic and wise thing to say and do? Is this um, what I feel convicted to say and do? Is this what I want to say and do? Those are the questions that functionally guided my words, my actions, and my decisions. I never thought, and this is embarrassing, I never thought about the impact of my words, my actions, and my decisions on others and how it might make others feel. I never thought, would my words or my actions or my decisions cause someone to feel hurt or not cared for or devalued? Frankly, I didn't care about what others felt. As long as my conscience was clear, as long as I thought I was pleasing God, it's all that mattered. I was clueless about how I made others feel or how others experienced me. And you might be thinking to yourself, how did that guy ever become a pastor, right? <laughs> I, I get it. It's just crazy. Now, I still have a long, 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 long way to go, but I have slowly begun to become more self-aware as I began to soberly consider the impact I have on others around me, whether it's at home with my wife and kids or in the office with the other staff or in public and private gatherings with you all at church. And my desire and my prayer is that when people experience me, that they would in some small yet real way experience Jesus the kindness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, because I'm becoming more like Jesus. Now, obviously, I fall, I fail, fall short all the time. So many times I don't remember, resemble Jesus in my home or in the office. I can talk to my wife, talk to my kids, talk to my coworkers about that, how oftentimes they have experienced me in ways that have put them on eggshells around me. And I can tell you this, I hate 
that I cause others to have to walk on eggshells around me. And I want to repent and change my ways that those that are around me feel safe and loved and valued and cared for. Who cares if I do the right thing, but I do it the wrong way? Who cares? Because when, more than anything, I, I, I hope as I become more like Jesus that people can see Christ in me and people can smell the sweet aroma of Christ that arises from my life. That is what I want for myself. And church family, if we all desired that, that in our interactions with one another, what we experience from one another is, is Christ, because we're all becoming more like Christ, how beautiful would the cultures of our homes be? How beautiful would the culture of our church be? Because in that kind of culture, where we're experiencing the goodness and the grace of Christ with one another, I can guarantee you, spiritual abuse will not happen. And not only that, we will rejoice our Father's heart in heaven, and we will get to experience the peace of God with us as the family of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, I suppose it comes back to this so simple and yet so profound. Would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that we might obey the new command that the Lord Jesus has given to us, that we might love one another even as Christ loved us. And if we can love one another with the very love of Christ, if we can experience the love of Jesus through one another, oh, Father, would you cause our church to have a culture where the love of Jesus is freely given and freely received to the glory of Christ and for the joy of our hearts. It's in his name we pray. Amen.